Hi, I am Clarinda Pharmacy C. Stanley. I am a mother. I am a global fundraiser. I'm an environmentalist. I am a farmer. You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, So today I am delighted to be joined with Farmer C or C Stanley out of North Carolina. She's a hemp farmer, entrepreneur, many things, many, many things. And uh, we've got lots and lots to talk about today. Thanks so much, C, for being willing to come on the podcast. Absolutely. I mean, it makes it so that now I won't feel like I'm cyber stalking you. You know, we have a genuine <laughs> connection now. So, yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> ever since ever since I discovered your your brand and your mission, which we'll get into all of this, all the specifics and your product. There's so many things about what you're doing that resonate with me. One, you're trying to build a, not just a farm, but a learning laboratory, a learning center to learn about medicinal plants and agriculture and all these things. So that's ticks one box for me. Um, I'm very, very interested in that as a science educator and uh, that sort of thing. Then two, your product you have a tea that is a combination of two of my favorite plants, which is cannabis and Tulsi basil. So right away, we check all those boxes. And you're in the South, which for me, having come from the South too, finding sort of a kindred spirit like this, that of like your mission, what you're trying to do, the product that you've put out there and the way you carry yourself and present your message to the world, I'm all in. So I'm stoked. Well, thank you. And I've got to get you some tea. You've got to try it. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, some Brenda's bomb. Yeah, I'd love to. I've made my own sort of combinations like that before, just playing around in the kitchen. Um, But it's it's awesome to know that there's actually a a product there on the shelves that people can go to. Now, I I talk about Tulsi basil. It's come up in at least a third of my interviews. I end up talking about it just because of how uh, powerful of a medicinal plant um, it can be and just how good it tastes. Um, yes. And there are, there are different varieties, but it tastes so good. It's delicious. Uh, it really yeah. is. So before we get too far into all of that, let's backtrack a little bit and just share with folks that are listening. Um, uh, I've already spoiled a little bit, but what you're doing, what your mission is, and how you've gotten to where you are now, as well as where you're headed. Oh, my gosh. Well, if I tell you how I've gotten here, yeah, this will be a series, not just a a one-time podcast. But um, I got here, Jason, the same way I think I have arrived at all my destinations in life. I take very creative paths. If someone Mm -hmm. says, go right there, straight ahead, I am going to go right, then left, then I may even do a circle, right? I eventually get to where I'm going. But by the time I arrive, I pick up so many lessons along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. So with the farm, I actually come from a farming background, uh, only counting the voluntary uh, farming generations. But I would be considered fifth generation. So on my maternal side, uh, they very much have followed an agrarian life. Even 
with my mother and her brothers, um, all college educated, which was a tremendous accomplishment for my grandparents, my grandmother, Charity, who I attribute a lot of my upbringing um, with her. She actually attended college, but they all moved back or found themselves back growing. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to have anything at all to deal with farming. I wasn't getting paid. There were all these creepy crawly things. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot. I'm in Alabama, you know, growing up it's where hot. it's really hot. Yes. <laughs> so I hightailed it out of there. I graduated um, early at 17. I was a smart kid, but I also, you know, was a product of divorce, eventually ended up living with my maternal grandparents. Um, wasn't one of those kids that, you know, when the adults in my life saw that I was having a hard time, it was a, hey, maybe we need to give her some therapy or some counseling or some mm -hmm. emotional support. You know, it's old school. We're going to yeah. try to whip you into um, what we need for you to be. And that did not quite work with me. I will use one of the kinder um, adjectives that I was called young at a young age. And that was, I was headstrong, but I was smart. So I usually could get out of most whoopings, but not all of them. Um, so I left, I took off and went to college and never, never really thought about becoming a farmer per se. Mm -hmm. I've always been attracted to growing. I've always had a, an amateur interest in medicinal plants, had some recollection of knowledge that my grandmother shared with me and my mom shared with me. But of course I wasn't really, that wasn't my thing. So I wasn't necessarily trying to retain all of that knowledge, but some had um, definitely stuck with me. And so I had a little bit of a green thumb, but you know, if I had to pick up and move, I was a military spouse for a while. Mm. If I had to leave the plants, I wasn't heartbroken over it. Now, today, you know, <laughs> totally, totally different. But um, so I left, start living life, uh, you know, working on becoming an adult, making those wonderful mistakes that if you can live through them, you've got mm -hmm. a great story to tell and hopefully some wisdom to to go along with it. And um, had what, you know, for a while I was trying to find myself professionally, spent some time being a teacher. I've been a mental health clinician mm. actually. Um, and eventually graduated, got a degree in marketing. Oh, and by the way, Jason, I left out a couple of little details. I was also a two-time teenage mom. So I'm figuring oh. all of this out and I've got wow. two little ones that, you know, wow. you have to provide some, some stability mm -hmm. for, because apparently if you don't, they go haywire. So um, working on figuring all of that out and ended up going into marketing and eventually ended up becoming a fundraiser. Had no intention of becoming a fundraiser. I just saw that the fundraiser, I was working out of college, the fundraiser um, looked to really be having a good time. She mm -hmm. was going out to lunch when I was asking, so who did you have a meeting with? oh, I had a meeting with this extremely wealthy person. What are you meeting about? Oh, well, they're telling me how they want the money that they're giving us to be disseminated. 
So, <laughs> so wait a minute. Let me yeah. understand this. While I'm stuck <laughs> in this office toiling, writing all of these great proposals for you, you're going to have lunch with extremely wealthy people coming back to the office complaining some days that you've had to have lunch twice. And... <laughs> And you get paid a lot more than I get paid. And you're talking to people who want to give money. Sign me up for this. So I go into fundraising. Hell, I mean, I'm like, if you can do yeah. it, I can do it. I go into fundraising, yep. um, eventually work my way on up. And now um, work for a large environmental organization. Now, Everything has worked out. I've checked the boxes. Okay, got married and then didn't work out. Got married again. Ugh. Not very successful at this marriage thing, but career is popping. Kids are crack free, you know, academically gifted. They brush their teeth most nice. Did yes. okay there. I've got three dogs. We have a house in the suburbs. I've got decent credit. Like things are fine. Why in the hell would I become a farmer? <laughs> and, you know, that is a question. So during that last unsuccessful marriage, there was a point that he was going through a career transition. And I basically said to him, Jason, what do you want to do? He was mm -hmm. like, I would love to grow hemp. We had just, it had just became legal um, here in North Carolina. I'm like, fine. I go and buy a farm because I wanted to be known that when, if I have to leave you, I really, really tried everything. You want a farm? Mm -hmm. Here's a farm. Go farm. Well, obviously that uh -oh. didn't work. So now I have this farm and it's like, what the heck am I supposed to do with it? Now, also during this time, because of the novelty of me in the industry, um, being a black woman with a hemp license, because I'm the one who got the license, mm -hmm. all of a sudden there's a lot of attention. Hemp yeah. has now, you know, you, you, you know, the big short lived yeah. golden era where people would just spewing all kinds of lies, and it was going to save the South. All of these tobacco <laughs> farmers, everybody, all you need to do is you're going to put this little magic seed in the ground. It needs a little water, a little sun. We have it. It's pest resistant. The deer don't like it. Lies. Um, <laughs> you know, it's going to grow up 12 feet tall, and you'll make 80000 easy per acre. So, of course, everybody rushes and signs up, and a few of those who were aware noticed that it was um, a very homogenous group of individuals for the most mm -hmm. part, um, especially when we look at the racial profile. And so it was a very white male movement. Mm -hmm. And then if you had a little diversity, it tended to be gender. So it would be a white woman. Yeah. Yeah. So me being black um, and a woman, you know, it's like, hey, 2019, featured farmer for Hemp History Week. Have at yeah. it. It's like, okay, great coverage. Um, then all of a sudden we're on the AP, you know, we're on the mm. cover of all these newspapers for the AP, um, the groundbreaking article they did right after Trump signed the farm bill. And so we're all over the place. Now, going into it, I always gravitated more towards the business side. That's where my skill set is. So I was behind the branding, the marketing, 
um, making sure that we were capitalizing and optimizing all of these opportunities. And my former partner was production. He was the one who was actually all about growing. I knew enough about growing to have a conversation with someone who did not know how to grow and mm -hmm. impress them. I could impress someone brand new. Now, if I got into a conversation with one of these old heads who have been around for a while, then, you know, very <laughs> soon they would know that she is like, she's like a kid who went to a four-year school as opposed to one who goes to a two-year. Mm. A two-year technical education, you're going to be able to hit the ground running. They teach you how to actually do it. Mm. Whereas yeah. with the four-year, it's more theoretical, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get this highly educated kid that you have to tell them how That's to go from point A to point B. Exactly. Yeah. No practical knowledge. And so that was, it was working until it didn't work. And now I have this farm and I'm like, what, what am I supposed to do? Um, I briefly thought about selling it. That was very brief because one lesson that had been instilled in me by my grandparents and by my mother in particular was the importance of land ownership and specifically mm -hmm. the importance of land ownership in the black community. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the numbers, farmland, um, of course we know that small farmers make up the majority, like what, 80% of the number of producers, even though they only get a small percentage of actual commodity sales. When mm -hmm. you look at ownership, 96% um, of all privately owned farmland is owned by whites. So that leaves 4%. So mm -hmm. for me to not keep it was like, well, I have to keep it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm standing there, I'm like, okay, we've got this farm. I've got a well at least. Let me grow some stuff. Well, apparently um, it's not a magic seed. Um, there's a <laughs> lot that goes into it. As I have come to know um, this beautiful cannabis plant, I really have so much respect for the plant and being on the medicinal side for my ladies um, who really communicate and let you know how they're feeling. So there was that piece. Uh, being an environmentalist, I knew that a monoculture wasn't going to work. Yeah, and yeah. having access to so much information in the regenerative space, um, in the organic space, and I consider us to grow with uh, ecological um, ecological consciousness. That is the term yeah. that I use, as opposed to putting it in some package because there's so much or regenerative or whatever. And then yeah. the regenerative folks are arguing with the organic people. And I'm like, you can't <laughs> even agree on how to grow a plant without damaging the earth. Like we argue over everything. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I really had this moment of introspection and reflection and had to do some dissection of some of my thoughts and, um, some of the biases that I came mm -hmm. to it with because I personally had never thought of farming as this glamorized profession. You know, here I am now, mm -hmm. I've overcome all these obstacles. I've got a couple of degrees. I've become, you know, the first senior fundraiser at the this large environmental organization. And I'm, I've got donors all over and, you know, we've made it. And then to become a farmer, but 
now, totally, of course, I have wisened up. Again, there's a lot that I didn't know coming into this. And so I know now that farmers are some of the most brilliant individuals yeah. walking um, the face of this earth. And, and we're fortunate for us because I'm, I'm amongst them now. Um, so, yeah, I, I went through all of that and said, what what would I like it to be? And, you know, having access to the data, knowing the inequities that exist, knowing the the systemic issues that we're facing as a society and within the society, um, groups of individuals who have continued to be marginalized and oppressed. So how can I use this, 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 this fertile platform mm -hmm. to grow something bigger than what I initially thought we were going to be, which was we're going to be this always want to be boutique, but we're going to be this boutique hemp farm and, you know, make $80,000 an acre. Um, <laughs> and now it has really evolved and grown up. My dream grew up and now it's a mission. So I'm so excited. We want to create a teaching farm. So in addition to producing our products, we will actually have the ability to bring underrepresented farmers. And my special focus is not exclusive. I've had some people like, oh, you only want to have black women. I'm like, and if I did, and is that a terrible right. thing? I mean, let's go back to research if you really, really wanted to get out of this. Um, but it's not exclusive. But I do have a focus on black women, women of color mm -hmm. who want to learn not necessarily always how to be a farmer, but maybe you want to learn how to grow. Maybe you want to mm -hmm. expand your knowledge of plant medicine. Um, maybe you're interested in homesteading or, mm -hmm. you know, just to be able to to make sure that the knowledge is broader. And for those who do want to become farmers, to teach them some of the things I've learned if you don't want to be a struggle farmer. Because mm -hmm. everywhere I go, I see struggle farming. Mm -hmm. And that to me is about as terrible as the fact that we have teachers on welfare and people mm -hmm. get paid millions of dollars to bounce a rubber sphere up and down a court and put it through a hoop, like work with me people. But um, yeah, that's what we're all about. So the name Green Heffa um, comes from my grandmother. It's, it's honor, mm. um, honoring her favorite insult. If someone really ticked her off, they were a mean heifer, an old oh. mean heifer. And okay. so that's where green heifer comes from. Wow. There's so many <laughs> things to dive into from all of that. Um, uh, that's so fascinating. I mean, one, one of the things that you brought up that really sticks in my mind is, um, you know, your mission of trying to figure out, because we're sort of in a race against time here as far as um, trying to ensure that people that want to um, own land, get involved in farming, all this sort of stuff, um, that they do it. Because as you know, as a farmer, you know, and as an environmentalist, like getting exposed to all this information, the land grab by the major corporations that run big agriculture, yeah. um, the ability to even be a small farmer 
um, much less a woman farmer and a black woman farmer. You know, it's like the 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 yeah. complications increase exactly. um, every exactly. every level. But um, it is like a race against time to really empower people with this information, this knowledge, and to inspire to get people to you know, like you said about the bias of farming, mm -hmm. to help mm -hmm. help people. Um, overcome that if they if they have that in themselves i know that growing up i also dealt with that until i also got older started thinking about things a little differently and especially as i became a science educator and then an environmentally focused science educator you just start thinking about land use differently you start thinking about yeah. the way humans are organizing themselves differently and exactly um, and you you realize how important it is to have these skills yeah even if you don't want to be a farmer just knowing how to work the land how to garden how to do some how to manage things. your water you know yeah, yeah. um just basic stuff how to lower your energy bills yes. um those kind of things which when when we tie them to some type of economic outcome for mm -hmm. a lot of people i think it would make it more more palatable um but you know it's just like it's another thing to have to be like, oh, here's something else. And and our mm -hmm. planet is so big and it's the sky has always been there. The ground has always been there. We have other problems, you know, we've, we're dealing with, you know, I don't have dental insurance and my tooth hurts or mm -hmm. there's a pandemic going on or I can't afford to stay at home because I, you know, was sick. Mm -hmm. I have to go to work because we depend right. on every check or I'm concerned about my kid riding his bike because of the choice of clothes that he has on. It may make him to, you know, appear more suspicious. So we mm -hmm. have all of those other things and then you want to throw on us, well, <laughs> you really need to be concerned about the entire planet because the polar ice caps that you're never going <laughs> to see because you don't have the money to travel, they're melting. Mm -hmm. So right. we might want to keep, you know, keep, keep them frozen. Yeah. It's, it's how do you make it real? And I hope Green Heifer Farms is able to do that because one thing I am, you, you follow me what you're experiencing now is what you experience when you engage with our company. Mm -hmm. We're very authentic. Yeah. We're not, you know, this corporate brand or we have no aspirations of being something that's no longer accessible to people. Mm -hmm. You know, I want people to always feel okay with, Hey, see what's up. Hey, even if I don't yeah. have the capacity <laughs> to respond right, to everyone, yeah. I want, there to be that that energy that vibe yeah absolutely and it you know one hope i have with the the pandemic that's going on is hopefully although i don't hear much discussion um in a lot of media about it but hopefully there starts to be discussion about our food supply chains and how our communities are dependent on so many different things and that mm -hmm. there's really a, an opportunity here for people to think critically and possibly restructure some things, invest in local farms, local food supplies, try to eliminate some of those middlemen. And by the way, a lot of times when you do that, your food's usually more nutritious. Oh, and it's usually better for the earth. You know, all these other things that stack on top. But as far as bringing it home so that people like are directly impacted and are, you know, inspired to do something, maybe 
um, you know, as we have seen some of the food supply disruptions that have happened. And I think there'll be more because, you know, there are going to be outbreaks that continue to happen around the world for a while uh, for the foreseeable future. And so there's going to be little hiccups for a long time. Um, and hopefully it, it drives that conversation. Where does my food yeah. come from? And why is it so hard to stock, you know, this or... Um, yeah, I think um, I definitely see some conversations taking place um, that would would make it seem that there is a greater awareness. But, mm -hmm. um, and so there is, those who are gonna get it are gonna get it, um, as with mm -hmm. any major event, especially yeah. a global one. But you know, it takes a certain amount of capacity to even ask those questions. Mm -hmm. To be able to ask where my food is coming from, you have to know that you're going to have some food. You have to mm -hmm. know that, you know, you have something in your refrigerator, the means to get it. If mm -hmm. you don't have that kind of capacity, then you're probably not going to be able to ask those type of questions because you're exhausted. Um, right. yeah. You know, being a former two-time teenage mom, there was a period that I was on public assistance. And mm -hmm. I mean, there were some days I did not eat because I had, um, my oldest daughter had a particularly robust appetite. So, you know, <laughs> going back <laughs> for seconds for her was not a rarity. That was a, mm -hmm. a daily occurrence. Expected, and yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I honestly didn't even think about going to get some seeds and maybe planting something in the garden because mm -hmm. who has time for that? You know, working yeah. these menial, these just disrespectful paying jobs, mm -hmm. trying to make it through the month because you have more month than money. You're not sitting around a lot of people aren't. Mm -hmm. Now, for those who say, hey, for me, I realize I've got to go back to school and I've got to get my education. That's pretty much the only thing that's really going to give us a fighting chance. Um, but I had a lot of people and that I associated with that when I had that same conversation, like, hey, let's go back to school. If they didn't have the energy. I don't think yeah. people realize how genius of system of a system design oppression really is. Like yeah, every yeah. detail was thought out. You can literally just not have the will. And so mm -hmm. for many people, and, and we see that happening because we see people getting elected, you know, we see mm -hmm, yeah. Still yeah. see arguments over things such as the color of one's skin. Like, are you serious? Gender and all of this other stuff. So there are going to be a few people who are going to have that very, um, that very conversation, that awareness, that light bulb. But there's unfortunately are going to be many who, who aren't going to mm -hmm. reach that point. And I consider myself an optimist. I know that uh, I don't sound very optimistic, but, you know, just from my observation, unless something, we have to see aliens or something, I think, before, yeah. you know, <laughs> yep. something big it's, happens. It's like, oh, we, that's, I, that's we, we need much to care about I, all of know, us. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's like, what's, what's going to break us out of the, the little camp, little tribe mentality and just, think about 
everyone as a whole. And you're right, the the systems of oppression are so very intricate and, you know, fascinating on an intellectual level and terrible on a practical level. Um, but you're right that there are so many people, you know, alive right now that are in survival mode that are just struggling to get to the end of the day and ensure that, you know, they're going to make it to the next day or, exactly. you know, they're, they're caring for so many other people. Um, yeah, that not everyone has the luxury to try to, you know, really, you know, get into these things. And it's an, it's an interesting kind of privilege, you know, it that, is. You, that it you bring is. up. Yeah. It's a really it interesting is. kind of privilege that I, we don't really, uh, account for it very much. And it's really easy to sit back in our armchairs and say, why aren't other people just, <laughs> why don't they get it? Why don't they just do what they need to do and make things better? And I mean, we've given them the bootstraps. Why aren't they pulling right, themselves Right, up? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, why aren't they just figuring it out? Because you gave us bootstraps, but you actually gave us a loan for them. We have to pay you that back with interest. You own the cows, you own the cobbler, you own the pastures. So we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and go where, you know? And and the bootstraps are broken, by the way. They're broken. (laughs) So no, I'm not sitting there looking at them like, is this vegan leather or, (laughs) you know? Yeah, well, and it it's something that um particularly activists that are very passionate about making change, it's something that um I think it's very very important for them to um understand um because we were talking before we started the podcast that mm-hmm. you know, we're we're both from the south, grew up in rural poor areas and stuff. And so our perspective is different than mm-hmm. maybe a lot of people. Um and when I moved to Oregon, um, I'm still wrestling with this issue that it's just so clear that a lot of people do not understand the struggles of, of people that are really poor. There are some people that think they're poor, but like really, if you were to compare, it's apples and oranges and they don't it understand is. the communities and the history and all of the, <laughs> not just decades, but hundreds of years that have led to the way that um, a lot of these communities are set up. I mean, like out here on the West Coast, some of these some of these towns and cities are not that old. You know, like there's still yeah. so much area out here that's not even um, not even founded into organized towns. Whereas yeah. in the South, you know, like people have been been there for quite a while. Generations. Exactly, generations. And when you take into consideration, when you expand it, right, in a global context and yeah. know that our our poor, it would be considered wealth or if not wealth, mm-hmm. a step above um, current living conditions in so many places in the world. I went, I had the opportunity to go to Kenya in 2018 and um, I went to Kibera, I think it's pronounced Kibera. And that's the the area that's very very poor and mm-hmm. um there were there was a man that was boiling plastic in order to cook some bush meat to fill his chi- to feed his children burning plastic oh my gosh wow oh my goodness that like that hurts oh, my I heart cried. 
I cried. Yeah, I, yeah. I cried. I did. And I know my tears provided him no comfort. Um, yeah. Absolutely none. And I'll admit, I was, what do you do? You know, right. uh, I actually, um, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever said this, but I had some money on me. I was told don't, I was told don't go there because I was by myself. And then I mm-hmm. was told don't show any money, but I just refused mm-hmm. to believe that I could. And I'm like, look, I'm coming from America. I walk around mm-hmm. scared every day. You're not going to tell me <laughs> that I cannot even yeah. walk around in Africa. Like really? <laughs> so yeah. I'm walking the streets. As long as I didn't say anything, I had to, you know, take some things off because there were certain things that still right. um, were symbols of wealth. And I did give mm-hmm. him some money and there were other people who saw the money. And I, I don't even know how much it was shilling. I mean, it was some ridiculous mm-hmm. um, rate, the shilling to the dollar. I think one right. of their dollars is worth a penny here, something ridiculous. Nice. So I just gave them all of it. I don't know. Um, it was about 30 bucks in mm-hmm. U.S. Um, dollars. And that I still, that gave me absolutely no relief because mm-hmm. I know that you're still going to have to figure out yeah. how to sustain. And unless you continuously have someone investing in you, paying for your kids to go to school, then what, like what, 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 what's the outcome? So yeah, I'm sorry. I took you off um, track. You was going somewhere there, Jason, my bad. No, <laughs> no, this is, this is all so uh, important to talk about and we'll always loop back around. Cause I mean, um, you know, a couple other things I wanted to get into based on what you've already said, and then we'll press forward into other things. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask you talking about the, um, the, your, your background and the generations in your family that have been farmers and then talking about the history of areas, you know, where we grew up and, and everything. Um, do you, when you farm, do you now feel very connected to your ancestors in that work knowing that they also, you know, were um, putting that time, the blood, sweat, and tears, all that energy in, and taking care of their families, making all this, you know, pressing forward. How does that feel when you're working oh, in, the, in the farm and thinking about that? Absolutely, my ancestors are with me every day that I'm out there. I can, I mean, literally feel their energy, and I know that they are extremely proud because I wasn't forced to do this. Yeah, this was a choice for me. And, you know, the thing about here in America that we sometimes forget it's, is that Black history didn't start with slavery. You know, it was interrupted. Yeah. That was a major interruption and colonization and all of that. It was an interruption. So we come from the land. You know, Mm -hmm. women like me are the ones who stayed at home and gathered and figured out how to grow so that we could Mm -hmm. be more efficient and effective with our time because we had so many other things to do, like keeping the kid from, you know, jumping in the fire or something. So (laughs) growing is is a spiritual experience for me. I don't belong to any organized religion, but every time I step on that farm, it's church um, because Mm -hmm. I can see how the land is responding. Uh, Things are, I'm I'm able to listen better Mm, to the plants as opposed to telling them, oh, 
well, this is what you need. I've learned to understand how they communicate. Um, yeah, so, and I feel my mother there. I, I know my grandmother. My grandfather is especially proud of me. He's He was disappointed I got a Chevy. I felt it in my spirit because <laughs> there is no truck before it, but I did redeem myself and get a John Deere tractor. There so, you go. He is he is with me every single day. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And along this journey of, you know, deciding that you're going to keep this farm and you're going to build it and everything, what were some of the hardest lessons that you had to learn um, early on um, that now you look back and, you know, are very um, appreciative of? Yeah. Um, well, it, it's definitely still a good old boy, um, sure. space yeah. and, you know, I've, I've had a few experiences where there was no sugar coating that my presence wasn't had, you know, wasn't appreciated in that space. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. so that issues with going to a credit union that was designed specifically for farmers with the 800 plus credit score and 25% down and being told that, oh yeah, we can't approve your mortgage oh and oh having to take that to the highest level Jeez. in order that all of a sudden, oh, surprise, we can. And, you know, knowing that to get into farming now, if you are not at a certain, if you don't have certain capacity, mm -hmm. you are going to be in debt up to your eyeballs. Your kids are going to be in debt. So many of these farmers, especially small farmers, a lot of people who got into hemp got in bed with some investors or went mm -hmm. and got yeah. all of these loans. And now that $80,000 per acre, oh, yeah. They may have exaggerated a tad whole lot. Tad. Um, so, you know, and then the learning curve. Um, mm -hmm. In addition to learning, it's one thing to know how to grow. It's another to know how to farm. Yeah. And I never really had respect for the size of an acre until I had to bush hog one in mm -hmm. 90 degrees North Carolina sun. It's like, how big is this thing? Oh, well, you've got, you know, another 14 to go. Um, <laughs> so just that learning curve and figuring out, making mistakes, um, sometimes mistakes that have cost me and still having the fortitude to keep going at it. Mm -hmm. and, and not just being able to focus on production. Because yeah. you can't just focus on production. You've yep. got to spend just as much time on the business aspects. Mm -hmm. I've got to be doing branding and marketing. And somehow I gave birth to three social media adverse kids. <laughs> and oh, no. To the point I'm guilting my son. I'm just almost 17. Every 17-year-old has a Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, kid <laughs> but none of my children um like social media so wow. if anybody is listening to this and they're like oh she's just always on there. there's no one else to show you okay when i can get them on camera i do um all of those different pieces that are part of farming now and mm -hmm. and the laws oh my gosh especially if you're in the cannabis space you know i'm growing yeah. hemp you can smoke a joint the size of a telephone pole. 
The only thing <laughs> it's going to help with maybe is helping you vote correctly in November, since you obviously <laughs> need some help with that. But, yes. you know, <sighs> I wish it did. I wish what I grew could get you high. I really do, because I think cannabis is a beautiful plant regardless, but it's mm-hmm. not. But you still have all that conversation. My dad hasn't even tried um, my tea yet. Really? Retired military of, officer, deacon in the church. Just, you know, he's old school. He, he was taught. He's from that mm-hmm. old school, that old guard that was taught that, you know, cannabis, hemp, marijuana, whatever you refer to it as, was, you know, say no to drugs. So mm-hmm. that's his that's his mindset. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and that's that ties into one of the big things I want to talk to you about. Um, which is stigma. So this concept of stigma, there's obviously, it's a very multi-dimensional issue, um, but it's something I, I wanted to get your perspective on, on the, yeah. the different types of stigma that you've had to uh, deal with through this journey. Because, um, I mean, obviously there's multiple levels. I mean, there's the cannabis side, but you're also a black woman farmer in the South. So, yes. I mean, there's got to be, you know, that's, like you said, there's a certain level of mental fortitude one has to have to really take that on. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. All of those (laughs) things you just mentioned have helped me to deal with stigma because you have all of that, you know, at a time I was on public assistance, there was a time I was a college dropout. There was a time, you know, I was, well, not teenage mom now, but I was a teenage mom and just that stigma attached to that stigma attached to, um, so many things being divorced or, you know, Mm, having more than one father for your children. Oh my God, that's so terrible. (laughs) Um, all of these things. So by the time it got to cannabis, I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) We've we've been around this stigma issue for a while. I honestly (laughs) could care less about what you think. I mean, I try to educate and inform if the environment is receptive to that. I don't try to push my knowledge or beliefs or ideologies on anyone in any circumstance because you you don't get anywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. If it's an environment that's receptive to information, you know, I try to educate and say that hemp rope that you have, you know, you have hemp Mm -hmm. in your home. You've been using hemp, but we've just been real stupid um, because we outlawed something that we still had a tremendous need for. So we decided we're going to buy it from them over there. And we, you know, sent our money out to go buy Mm -hmm. the hemp because we didn't want you to lose your mind and go crazy due to this this terrible plant. And the sad thing is, uh, not the sad thing, I would say ironic. When I talk to people Mm -hmm. and I start talking about all these other plants that are out in their backyard, like you could get real high off of this. THC has nothing on this and it's in your backyard. Like what don't, don't feed into the hype. Yeah. I haven't really cared about stigma. I have a coworker who she and her husband actually own a pretty successful um, THC cannabis dispensary and no one knows. Hmm. And she's like, I don't want to tell anybody. I'm like, why is legal in your state? Well, the stigma, 
And she was so surprised that I've been so open um, about my farm and my products. I, I, I look at my colleagues like, if in the event that you need some tea, I would rather your money stay in the family, okay? Yeah, So, right. yeah, I don't deal. It's just so many other things, I think, that I've been stigmatized about that mm-hmm. the cannabis, and I don't differentiate between hemp and any other type of cannabis because you have that movement too right you know yeah. uh what's the the sign i see uh don't cry it can't get you high like just <laughs> just dumb stuff it's what you know uh hemp uh if you're growing for cannabidiol it it's not psychoactive yeah yes it is psychoactive it definitely you, is you, you, yeah. you just don't get what you define as high but why would people be taking it if it wasn't psychoactive you were stressed yeah. you happen to feel a little more calm that's a little right. psychoactivity happening yeah exactly so, yeah um, yeah that, so in short i don't care about the stigma so I, it's not something i've really dealt with because frankly my dear i don't give a damn about the stigma attached to yeah well <laughs> to i mean that's a, that's a great attitude to have uh, for sure i mean it's something that that i've struggled with myself just like um you know being an educator and a scientist and then um sort of like privately doing this work with cannabis on the side that people didn't mm-hmm. know about. And then eventually this time came where it's like, well, I mean, I'm in a state where it's legal. What I'm doing is it's not like I'm, you know, working in the black market, you know, doing stuff like this. And it's it's interesting work and stuff that needs to be talked about. And so finally, yes. you know, putting my my personal self, my personal name, you know, everything out there and saying yeah. like, hey, this is what I'm doing. And I mean, it was it was it was scary um, in a sense because there's always that feeling of like, what if uh, my colleagues don't take my work seriously anymore? You know, it's all these ideas. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's some point that you have to get to where um, you care more about what you're doing for yourself and what your mission is and your path is and everything. Then you care about, what anyone else is going to have to say about that and and trust there's a lot of kind of faith in that too just mm-hmm. going with it and trusting that you know things can be all right you know yes, you yes. might get some flat people are they're going to be haters they're going to be people that are going to have everything negative they can to say about what you're doing but there's yeah. also plenty of people that resonate with what you're doing too and you just have to trust plenty of people and haters typically um at least and I, I, I don't even like calling them my haters because yeah. that gives them a name, you know, it gives a name. But right. I have found from personal experience that people that fit that um, categorization are typically either jealous because you're doing something mm-hmm. uh, either they would want to do or just the fact that you broke free and are following yes, a passion. Yeah. And I think that's a big one. Yeah. Doing something that you really care about and they may not you know, maybe they didn't take Mm -hmm. a chance like that in their life. And so they're going to project that onto you. And then the other group are people who are just scared because Mm -hmm. you're shaking things up. This isn't what I was taught. This isn't how I grew up. And now you're, you know, 
telling me I have to change my mind on mm -hmm. another something. So I find, yeah, that, and, and you can't win them all. You know, was right. it Steve yep. Jobs once said, if you want to make everyone happy, sell ice cream. And that wouldn't even work because some people are right. lactose intolerant or yep. whatever. And they're That's like, right. uh. <laughs> Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's something that, you know, it's taken me a long time to get comfortable with of yeah. that feeling of like, you can't be friends with everybody. You can't please everybody. It's more important to focus on what it is you're really trying to do and do it than yeah. get caught up in all of that. Um, exactly. Uh, going back to something you said way back, talking about, um, you mentioned that one thing that a lot of people getting into hemp farming right now are struggling with is the money side, that they're getting, mm -hmm. they're getting into bed with investors or taking on loans, not really understanding um, mm -hmm. kind of what they're getting into. Do you have any advice based on your own experiences and your experiences with like fundraising and working mm -hmm. in other sectors that are, you know, kind of related. Do you have advice for people that are either just getting into um, hemp farming or farming in general, or are thinking about it uh, ways that maybe could potentially keep them from going down that path of intense debt? Sure. Um, and these are tips that I would give to a general group. Cause of course there's mm -hmm. always exceptions. Exactly. Uh, yeah. One of the key things I would say or advise anyone getting into this is if you don't have any money, don't get into this. This is not something you get into to get yourself out of a situation. You should already be in a stabilized financial position that one, you're able to bring something to the table and two, you're able to keep the lights on, eat, Mm -hmm. go about having a certain quality of life that if your crop, like um, the first mm -hmm. year crop at, at my farm is hit by a hurricane or oh if it's hit <laughs> by, uh, you know, a disgruntled soon to be ex-spouse that you're able to still keep moving and um, not be in such of a financial stressful situation that everything is hinging on you know growing or or your your cannabis business like don't bet the farm um right i would also say for anyone that's coming into this that if it looks too good to be true oftentimes it isn't be careful when you're signing these contracts and getting into um, bed with some of these play of the players in this space, especially like for growers. Um, mm -hmm. You know, have access to a legal eye that mm -hmm. can look over and make sure that you are not getting the short end of the stick. And that goes back to having resources because. Yeah. You need someone to set your business up correctly. This isn't a uh, unregulated industry by any means. And so mm -hmm. making sure that you invest the time and energy to do all that, all that background, not as sexy work, like making sure mm -hmm. you have the proper business structure, making sure you've got the taxes worked out, making sure that you've taken advantage of your local, um, statewide, and, you know, any type of federal um, 
benefits that can come to farmers, whether it's getting um, your farm number or, you know, applying for present use, uh, present use tax value, whatever it's called, the one that you don't have to pay all that money in taxes. I did not know about that one. Still a little mad about Mm -hmm. that. Um, And some of these other things that can benefit your farm. Don't think that you're just going to apply for a grant from the government and they're going to help you Mm -hmm. start your farm. No, the government does not help you buy land. That's that's Mm -hmm. not what they do. They will. There are grants out there for farmers. If you're at a certain if you have a certain capacity, um, Mm -hmm. they are looking for things that are going to benefit society as a whole. And so. You know, if you have a mindset that you're going to come in and there's going to be all these federal dollars coming your way because you know of all these subsidies, et cetera, the bulk of those subsidies, uh, the bulk of the cost assistance ship programs, the grants that are available are going to big act because Mm -hmm. they have scale. You know, they can produce Mm -hmm. the numbers that meet the measurable outcomes that that Uncle Sam Mm -hmm. is looking for. Um, I will also say, if you think that you're gonna, you know, be able to get into this and spend five, 10 hours a week, it's a little side hustle, especially (laughs) on the growing side, then hunty, wake up from that dream (laughs) because that is not happening. I'm up early in the morning Mm -hmm. and, you know, my farm is 40 minutes away from my house. So I've got to get up early and get down there. And, you know, sometimes I'm on the farm. Fortunately, I work from home for my job, um, which makes life easier so I can be anywhere. But, you know, it's still it's time intensive. It takes a lot of resources, really research whether you want to do sun grown or Mm -hmm. if you're trying to do an indoor grow. And hopefully, you know, hopefully think about your environmental impact and, understand that this is um, uh, speaking from the natural resource side. This Mm -hmm. is an intensive crop. You know, you got to have some water. You've got to have lights if you're trying to do medicinal indoor grows, et cetera. So, you know, keep that in mind and don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, right now at Green Health of Farms, the fact that we are growing other medicinal plants, it allows us to be able to be more agile in this Mm -hmm. space. Um, And last thing I would say is just think outside of the box. Um, You know, I I, I see them now. it's, It's on the struggle bus, this whole CBG thing it's just it's it's just terrible and they're just trying to like oh get some cbg rich seeds which are probably Mm -hmm. the the seeds you got last year (laughs) but um um, you know people keep trying to figure out another way to monetize Mm -hmm. the benefits of the plant and that's just part of being in a capitalistic environment but you know don't put all your eggs in a basket it's gonna stress your soil in the first place so that's not good secondly it reduces your agility when things happen in the market and third um third it's just (laughs) 
it's not good business, you know. Right. Uh, even no, Coca Cola has other products. It's just it's not exactly. it's not you're really limiting your customer base. So those would be a few tips. Yeah, and I've noticed that with your tea, you don't really you don't focus on CBD. Like you're not you're not a hemp cultivator that's trying to hit the CBD market. You're keeping yeah. it broad about the plant itself and mm-hmm. and how it partners with other things, which I think is very, very smart. Um, the CBD industry in general is very, it gives me a headache to think about. It's grimy. Yeah. It's it, grimy. It, I it didn't is... want to be a part of that. It's, 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 I met some characters that it was just, it's distasteful. I'm like, I don't want to be mm-hmm. a part of that. I don't want to, because I don't have to do this. I don't want to yes. yeah. do something. And then what I'm putting in the world isn't representative of my best self. So yeah. a lot of time, effort and thought went into it. And you don't see, you won't see CBD in any of our marketing. And I've had people ask, what's the difference between your hemp flower and say smokable flower? Mm-hmm. Um, mine you're going to put in a tea that one you're going to smoke although a a disarming amount of people who purchased my tea have come back and told me they have smoked it (laughs) I'm not surprised I mean especially with the the smell of that Tulsi basil and everything in there it just has to call to them and that's (laughs) what they said I didn't want to smoke it but it made me you know And it's a good smoke. <laughs> like, well, but thank you. Thank you. You know, a lot of love yeah. went into it. Well, and, and how did you, um, uh, so a couple things that I want to ask you. One is how you settled on Tulsi Basil as your primary initial partner with cannabis for your tea. But then I also want to maybe use that as a segue just to talk about some of the other uh, medicinal plants that you're interested in and that you're growing on the farm. Okay. So... I have to give credit here to our mutual acquaintance, Noelle. Yeah, she and Noelle. I, yeah, she and I were both presenting at a conference, um, Organic Growers School. I think that's the name of it. But um, so we were both presenting. She was preparing some dishes using um, herbs and also showing how to make tinctures and Mm -hmm. um, other products with herbs. And I was presenting on hemp. And we happened to be in the same Airbnb. They had us in the same Airbnb. And so when I initially arrived, she was already in bed and I saw all her herbs and everything. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not going to touch anything. Um, But later on, we actually met up in the kitchen. And so we're talking and I'm talking about hemp and I'm explaining to her. I'm like, you know, I'm not going down the path that so many people who are growing. I'm not going to sell to um, a processor or a wholesaler. I don't want to do smokable. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying, I want to make teas. I want to blend it with something. And she immediately said, well, have you thought about holy basil? And I had only before that referred to um the herb as Tulsi. So I, yeah. I I wasn't familiar with the holy basil term. And she was like, are you familiar with holy basil? No, I'm not. And she pulled out this bag, Jason, of this aromatic. Oh, yeah. Be- it was unbelievable. She opened it and I could smell the terp. I mean, the terpenes. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is 
what is this, some designer hemp or something? And she's like, no, this is holy basil. I'm like, wow. So then um, I was like, well, I'm sure there are countless holy basil hemp blends. I mean, it just makes sense, of course. Yeah. You know, she breaks down the science. You know, Noelle, that's my little, oh, yeah. my little horticultural nerd and herbal medicine guru. She knows everything. So she's breaking down all the different types and the similarities with hemp and how she thinks that the terpene profile would be compatible and, you know, the adaptogen, um, genic value and blah, 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 blah. So she's saying all of this. And all I'm thinking is, man, this smells so good. I actually wanted to smoke it, but I, I didn't. Then I, 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 then I made some tea. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did have to smoke it. I mean, it was begging to be smoked. It literally jumped into my pipe. Um, exactly. So I made a tea and I'm like, this is delicious. And that is, so Noelle gets, um, I might need to give her well, I'll wait till I get super rich. I'll, I'll give her some stock or something. There you go. She, she deserves a few, <laughs> you know. She deserves it. No, but that's my girl. So, yeah, that's how it happened. And I just fell in love and started studying. And, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I grew up and my mother, um, particularly my grandmother, Charity, she dibble-dabbled into plant medicine. They didn't call it plant medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, some people will call it roots, um, mm -hmm. but they would get plants and do things. I know when I injured myself, because I was always injuring myself, I played hard. And so mm -hmm. I come home with a, you know, some type of laceration or something, and she would get this little rusty tin. I remember it being rusty because I remember being concerned that I just got stuck with some rusty metal right. and you're going to get that rusty tin, but she would get this little concoction that either she had made or some other elder in the community made. And, you know, all she called it was salve. That was mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and some mysterious salve. Some mysterious, yeah, <laughs> it, it was it, something, I don't know. But, um, so we, we had that, um, you know, my grandfather would take me out sometimes and teach me different plants. You can eat this. You can't eat mm. that. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. So I had went through a little phase in the 90s dating myself where at the time I had locks in my hair and I wanted to make natural hair products. And so I started mm. studying and I bought all these books on herbalism and aromatherapy and um just dibble dabbled and start making stuff and actually had developed a little customer base that wanted those hair products, but then, you know, got distracted and just stopped doing it or whatever. But that, that interest and passion never died. Uh, it would find itself in other places. Like I raise orchids. Mm -hmm. I have 17 right oh, now. Cool. Um, wow. Love orchids, love them. Yeah. And so other little projects. But um, now that I've come back full circle, it's, you know, a tremendous, I, I'm, I'm very much a student because there's so many plants <laughs> out yes. there that do such beautiful things. And I think I read a report that said we're only using um like 
12% or something like that. I, I might be wrong on the percentage. It's a low percent of mm -hmm. the plant world's medicinal capacity. Like we're, we're just yeah, using very, very that small. much. And that is mind blowing to me. When you mm -hmm. think about all of the pharmaceutical drugs that are based yep. on nature's design, right? Yep. So the first plants that made sense, I had to learn my land because, mm -hmm. you know, we weren't initially trying to get to know the land. We were going there telling it what it was going to do. Mm -hmm. You're going to grow this plant for us and we're going to make all of the amendments that we need to make to you for you to cooperate with what we have planned for you. Um, so going back to it and saying, well, why don't you show me what you have? Oh, you have dandelions. Oh, you have crimson clover. Oh, you have mm -hmm. things that are here right now that are medicinal and value. Yep. And so with my tea, um, you know, you can go buy some botanical blends. They'll give you 12 13 herbs, <laughs> you know, and I keep it very simple. One, out of respect for the mother, you know, hemp is hemp is 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 a pretty special plant. And yeah. so um I don't see myself ever blending it with more than maybe two herbs mm, because yeah. then mm -hmm. things start can start becoming redundant. And I mean mm -hmm. If you need three herbs that reduce anxiety, then no, what you need is you don't need tea. You need a <laughs> lifestyle makeover. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slip some tea on the way to the therapist. Like, come on. Let's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Might might need a little more work than might than need what a little more work. And that's been yeah. like one of my big issues with the, the CBD industry, all of these promises. Yes, that are being yes. made no, keep eating your honey buns and drinking your cokes and you just know make sure to take your CBD. just take two dropper fulls <laughs> for you under the tongue hold it there for a while and you know you'll be yeah fine it's it's been hard for me um i don't i don't have a problem telling people news they don't necessarily want to hear as far as science goes um, and so yeah. i get hired i get hired occasionally by companies that want a scientific advisor they think they okay. want a scientific advisor <laughs> and uh and then they bring me in and they say all right so we want to make some products and you know we'd really like to use cbg or cbd so what conditions can we formulate our products for and i'm like exactly that data doesn't exist and they're like, what do you mean? There's so much research and all the stuff. And I'm like, uh, yeah, there's some preclinical research. And then there is some clinical research that is not on your product, but on, you know, something totally different. Um, and when I start teasing out these uh, nuances about medical conditions and medicinal plants and chemical the chemistry and all this sort of stuff uh -huh. that's usually not what anyone wants to hear uh, no, like no just no. tell me just tell me i can make a sleep formula yep. and get it out to people you know and give me some papers i can cite that show that it's based in science exactly and, and it's yeah it it is i uh, the cbd industry the dietary supplement industry, a lot of this stuff, it doesn't sit super well with me because of all the, all the promises. It's to me, it's all tools, you know, and, and we can figure out ways to use them. 
um, and they can be effective for some people in certain situations, but don't go around telling people you can predict what their experience is going to be like or what you're going to be able to do for them when, I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah. it drives me crazy. I'm, I'm with you on that. And, you know, with, with our, still being very much in the learning stage and understanding endocannabinoid systems and how each person is unique and individual like a thumbprint and you know we we honestly don't know a lot we know a lot more than we knew but we still don't know a lot (laughs) yeah so that definitely is something that um i just try to stay away from that yeah i I definitely do i think that's a smart strategy in the long term for sure and to um, start to bring all this around, because mm-hmm. I don't want to keep you too long. We've already been going for okay. like an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes, but I really, really appreciate you've been absolutely uh, really gracious with your time. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been really, really fascinating and fun. We're um, friends now, Jason. We'll talk again. We are, yeah. And I mean, before <laughs> before uh, the pandemic hit, I was planning on making a trip out to the South and visiting a few people um, that I hadn't been able to see in a long time. But Whenever that's able to happen again, I'll try to make sure I can come by come North Carolina. Come to North Kakalaki. I would love oh, yeah. it. My yeah. farm is in this little town called Liberty. I think that's oh, okay. just so befitting. You know, set <laughs> right? the people's yeah. minds free. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. You couldn't ask for a more perfect uh, uh, really? influence <laughs> there. That's awesome. Well, in thinking about your place in the hemp industry and you know, one of the things that I've started to talk about more in some of my more recent interviews I haven't released yet, but this concept of social equity, how do we ensure, I mean, to give people context in case they've been living under a rock, mm-hmm. um, one of the consequences of the war on drugs is that um, the war on drugs is not a war that has been fair, and you have people of color that have been very disproportionately arrested, jailed, imprisoned, you know, tacked with felonies, uh, lose their ability to even vote, you know, in some circumstances. Um, And then when they, if they get out of jail, you know, the struggle to get funding if they want to start a business, get financial Mm -hmm. aid if they want to go to school, get an apartment, you know, there's so many things. And so one thing I want to really highlight is this um, really big problem, the cannabis industry as well as every industry, but the cannabis industry especially has with social equity. And what are your thoughts going forward on how we can ensure that people that have been the most disadvantaged by so much that's gone on around the cannabis plant in its prohibition and all that stuff can hopefully have some sort of, um, you know, fighting chance to get into this industry and be involved? Um, Because, I mean, it is a the cannabis industry is incredibly whitewashed and mm-hmm. male dominated mm-hmm. massively. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it is very significant. Go to any cannabis conference and oh, yeah. you will be, you'll be hard pressed to see somebody who is not male or white. Yes. Um, so and oftentimes if you do see a person of color, they're more on the retail side, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So still a customer. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of want to end our conversation on this topic of, you know, how should people be thinking about this issue and what are some 
ways we can try to push this forward and uh, try to, I don't know, help things develop in a in a better way. Because once again, it's it is a race on time. Because uh, this industry is growing like crazy, it and there's is. a lot of money, a lot of big companies coming in. Um, yeah. So yeah. What are your thoughts on all that? Well, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head when describing the industry itself. And, um, you know, no offense to to you, Jason, but white men mm-hmm. just have not demonstrated that they have any interest in relinquishing mm-hmm. their share of any market that they dominate. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, when you ask what can the industry do when the industry is run by mm-hmm. white men, I don't know that the industry is going to do anything, to be quite frank with you. So we recently were able to get a greenhouse on our farm, and this was in large part um, funded by a grant from Gaia Herbs that's here in North Mm -hmm. Carolina. And they have a social justice grant where they give $5,000 to four or five organizations that are doing something in that space is farmers justice. Mm-hmm. And so I received Green Heifer Farms received one of those grants. You know, we need more people like that, more mm-hmm. more companies and corporate entities who are thinking like that as opposed to what can I get out of it? You know, I had yeah. I've had investors, white male investors approach me and feel that they're in some way being um you know, charitable, I guess, by saying, hey, even though I know Black women get some trivial amount of venture capital investment, I think it's like 0.2%. It's not, I don't even think it's a a whole percent. Like, I don't even think we made it to one. I'm willing to invest in you, especially when that whole economic opportunity zone thing was, you know, there was a lot of chatter Mm -hmm. about that. We want to invest in you, help, you know, help your cause, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is how much we're going to, you know, willing to invest. This is the return on investment that we need. And, you know, here's the equity that Mm -hmm. we're requesting. And so I would ask them, wait now. So I'm telling you (laughs) that this entity is more than just a business to me because of the fact that it increases um, the amount of acreage that's owned by Mm -hmm. black people in this country, you know, with us yeah. all understanding that all of this land was stolen by you. But right. okay, some has fallen fallen into my lap and um, you want me to give you a portion of that equity in order to be able to advance the business. Now mm-hmm. I'm beholden to you. Right. That makes as much sense as charging black folks money for student loans. So mm-hmm. you put everything in place to keep us behind the curveball. Mm-hmm. If we manage to get into college and attend, yep. you're going to put us in debt. So we still yep. have to pay the piper. Like, come on. And, you know, unfortunately, um, I don't see the industry as a whole doing much about it until consumers start yeah. being mm-hmm. more vocal and more um, conscious of who they're purchasing their products from and mm-hmm. asking uh, the players in this space these questions, you know, what are you doing yeah. as far as social good 
how are you using some of your profits to benefit? What are you doing to make sure your company is reflective of the community? You know, you've got big hemp farms out there. I know you are using um, labor that mm-hmm. has is undocumented. I've trimmed a plant. I know yeah. how much time it takes. Even if you have the machinery, we know you're doing yeah. this. What is the accountability that you're being held to to make sure that the people who are on your farm are treated in a humane and just way? We as consumers have to start being more engaged and involved with where we're putting our money. And when we start doing that, that is when I think we will see uh, a change happening in this industry. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that whole point of the power of where you spend your money, that applies to so many things. Um, But that was something that, you know, I was, I was going to say is my hope is that at least in maybe people hearing our conversation, maybe they will think differently about what they're buying and all of these brands and, and the people behind them um, and trying to, yeah, think critically. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're gonna buy hemp products, like where are they coming from? What, you know, when you give somebody money, it's about more than just a dollar exchange. It's a power exchange, an energy exchange. Yes. you know, all of these different things. And um, that's all money can, is. <laughs> exactly, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. And if we can really be mindful of those things, then yeah. Um, then there can there can be some hope, but I unfortunately do agree with you that the industry as a whole um, doesn't have any vested interest in changing. Yeah. Um, so it really does have to come from the consumers, and you know there are some nonprofit groups and things that are trying to mm-hmm. to help, but they're all drops in a bucket, you know. Exactly. That, um, and we have to look at the 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 older siblings you know, of of the hemp industry, the agricultural industry mm-hmm. as a whole, it, it looks very much like the hemp industry yeah. looks and, yep. and the makeup of who owns dispensaries and retail outlets look very much like who owns, you know, grocery stores and, yep. and yep. outlets where you are able to purchase food, et cetera. So, yep. And if the parents look the same, then, you know, the kid is gonna, <laughs> the kids are gonna look the same, hopefully, unless you need to ask some questions. Um, but yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna take consumers really um, being more aware and it's gonna take more people within the space saying something when they're in the room with their mm-hmm. industry counterparts. You yeah. know, any yeah. opportunity or platform I get, I speak. I mean, what what am I going to lose? Most of my customer base, the majority of people who buy my products are black women, followed Mm -hmm. by um, white women. And a lot of them have come to me and said, I wasn't, I'm not really even interested. I don't drink tea or I'm not necessarily interested in hemp per se. I wanted to support what you're trying to do. And so mm-hmm. for people coming into it, I have one more tip, actually, for people coming into this. Don't just come into this for money. 
Mm-hmm. You have to come in this with something bigger in mind than just money and build a business. Your business is reflective of your principles, I believe. Yeah. So whatever you have in place, and we have four guiding principles, environment, equity, education, and economic empowerment. So definitely for people coming into this, create, you know, Green Heifer Farms is, has to in no way be an anomaly. There can be mm-hmm. many farms that are vested in their local communities, vested in the industry as a whole, and really being, um, you know, willing to say out loud, this is what we stand for. And so yeah. I, I think those those two key groups can help create yeah. some, apply pressure. Yeah. And I mean, something that you're doing so i encourage people to find green hefa farms on social media and everything and one thing that it seems like you're trying to do as part of your mission is sharing that journey the lessons you're learning and everything so it can be a model for other people that feel like well i don't know what i'm doing i don't know you know if i want to get into this how to you know all these different things and you're like look you, you just choose to do it if you have the passion you move forward and you make it happen and you're going to yeah. make mistakes, but you learn and you keep pressing forward and then you never know where you'll be in a year or two, three. Um, and so providing that model, I think that's, that's something that's very, um, very awesome about what you're doing that you're, you're not just cultivating hemp, providing a product, but there's a whole other value add in yeah. your story and the, all of the behind the scenes stuff that you're sharing, uh, to really, um, hopefully inspire you know other people to do the same i agree that there's you know (laughs) there's no abundance of these community farms that we need we need you know so many more and it's important for people to um see that in the model you know like you Mm -hmm. said the the learning the learning farm environment and all of that and not just focusing on one plant diversifying the um ecological consciousness piece all of that um Mm -hmm. I think is 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 really great. Hopefully we do see it replicated. I hope so. I think it's going to be rough the next few years. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've read some some studies that they estimate we're going to lose about a third of small farmers that mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to sustain. Um, yeah. So it's really time for us to think about, you know, who's going to who's after us what's 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 Mm -hmm. after next um and so speaking out and really trying to help others and one understand um how entailing farming is and how it's not this you know this this industry for uneducated country bumpkins you know your wife is your cousin you know type that's so far from what farming is today the tech the technology that's available the soil science and botany Mm -hmm. and horticulture and understanding swales and zero scaping oh yeah yes yes there's a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's I mean, especially, especially if you're trying to take that ecologically minded yes. route where you're trying to think about how, how do we get the most out of our water? How are things moving through the property? How yes. do we minimize the need for pest management? You know, all these different things. 
um, how I discovered Tulsi Basil, and I promise I'll finish mm -hmm. after this. But that's okay. How I, I've been doing it. Good. Yeah. How I discovered Tulsi Basil was uh, when I moved to Oregon and didn't know anybody here. I volunteered on a permaculture farm, and just just to get outside and exposed to some sort of like quote-unquote sustainable agriculture mm -hmm. but i'm also not a fan of any of these terms <laughs> the buzzwords around all of that but how's um, ecological consciousness How did i like that... that i like that a lot i've actually used that term before too okay um because to me that just it it's about your frame of mind not a dogma um yes. and so that's what's important to me it's how are you approaching it not are you studying what other people have said and you're just like, this is my Bible and this is how we do things. And if other people do it differently, they're wrong. And somehow, I don't know, the arguments that happen among between the permaculture people, the regenerative people, the sustainable agriculture people, which seemingly supposedly have similar overlapping, if not the same goals, um, how they really uh, go after each other. And then like you said, the organic farmers and yeah, anyway, um, but that's how I discovered Tulsi basil is I was involved in a harvest of it and my clothes, the smell after harvesting Tulsi basil, I'd come home and it just smelled so good. And then eventually the farmer, you know, let me take a bunch home. And, um, that lasted me for like the bit he let me take home. I think lasted me for like two and a half or three years, you know, wow. just jar it all, you know, jar it all up and, uh, use it a little bit here and there. Um, yes. but that was my early exposure to it. Um, Have you made any topicals or anything with it, or not topicals? Ingested? Okay, just ingested. Yeah, mm -hmm. I haven't. I haven't played around with making my own topicals really at all. Um, it's just something I haven't played with. Well, I not really a topical. I mean, it was holy basil tea, but I had an allergic reaction uh, to some hair color. Mm -hmm. And I'm allergic to a particular chemical and permanent hair color. So I gotcha. had purchased a natural one and I thought mm -hmm. didn't have it. And I start, you know, um, having a reaction to it and went into my book and it said that um, Tulsi was often used with like conjunctivitis and the eyes mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. other things. Yeah. And that's where the my reaction was really reaction. happening yeah. with my eyes. And so I made a compress of. Um, holy basil tea oh. and just really strong and then placed the cloth across my eyes and I kid you not my eyes were still puffy but before I did this they were just bloodshot red it looked like mm -hmm. I had had a lot of fun and <laughs> I put that compress on and I mean within 15 minutes there was a noticeable change and then yeah. you know just continue to do it and the next day you wouldn't have Wow. have noticed yeah i have to remember that that's cool yeah yeah just soaking a rag. yeah well yeah. they would use it for eyewashes yeah yeah that's cool i didn't realize that that's super yeah neat. this has a lot of that's a whole nother podcast if we it were really to is. talk about yeah. all the benefits of of holy basil tulsi yeah 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 for sure well this has been super awesome i've really enjoyed um our conversation. I look forward to seeing how the farm grows and, um, you know, potentially in a year or so, see, see where you're at. We might have to catch up again and touch yeah. base and see what, see what, what other lessons you've, 
you've taken from the industry yeah, by that point. I would love that. We just moved a 150-year-old sharecropper's cabin. I yes, I saw that. That is so cool, so fascinating. So we're going to wow. blend all kind of stuff up in there. Once we get the the guests that are living in there out and, you know, we need to spruce up a little bit. I don't think it's been cleaned since probably the 30s. <laughs> But uh, we've got big plans for that little cabin. So, yes, oh, yeah. we definitely have to follow I'm, up. I'm sure one thing that goes through your mind is the narratives you'll be able to tell while walking someone through the farm and having that be such an interesting piece that, you know, probably no one will think about, you know, where that building came from, what its history mm -hmm. was or anything. Mm -hmm. And then being able to tie that to the, the story of the farm and everything that's, yeah. Yeah. Add so many layers to the the energy of that farm it's exactly really cool. exactly that's the that's the goal yeah yeah i dig it well in the last few minutes here i'm basically gonna hand the platform over to you to let people know um how to learn more about green heifer farms as well as i know you've got your own uh personal like social media presences and stuff too if you want to share with people and sure. anything else whatever's whatever's on your mind and anything you want to plug the podcast is yours. Well, in November, vote for... No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Psych! Um, yeah, so if you would like to stay in touch with me, definitely we sign up for our newsletter at Green Heffa Farms. Uh, one Heffa, H-E-F-F-A, you know, the correct Southern spelling, and then an S oh, yeah. on farms because we're just getting started. So you can go to the website. You can find all of our socials. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, Green Heifer Farm. Um, you can find me on Facebook, IG, under Farmer C, and that's Farmer, C-E-E, -E, Pharmacy, Pharmacy. Get it? Get it? Uh, 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 it I thought it would be just, <laughs> and I, people are just like, oh, now I get it. Um, or you can find me on Twitter. I don't suggest you follow me on Twitter because I'm not going anywhere on there. But if you're just, you know, really committed to keep up, uh, you can find me on there under Clarinda Land. And I am pretty active on social media, so I love to engage. If you're interested in learning about our initial product, it is Brenda Balm's Tea, named in honor of my mother, Brenda. That's the Renda in my name. And that is a beautiful hemp flower holy basil blend, and it's USDA certified hemp, so it's just beautiful, beautiful hemp. So definitely check that out. We have some more teas coming out this summer. Um, a few other things up under my sleeve. Oh, also, I just started a new series on Patreon called Sipping Tea with C. And that's not necessarily about farming. That's about all the other stuff that I got to nice, say. Nice. So if, but all of the proceeds do support the farm. So would love to have some of your audience become part of the Green Heifer family. Um, our arms are always open, long as you're not coming with no bull. Exactly. Come yep. <laughs> Come on. Well, that all sounds great. Everyone that's listening, go check them out. 
And if you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, um, you can find us at CACpodcast.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual suspects as well, um, as well as YouTube. And we're also on Patreon as well, patreon.com slash Curious About Cannabis, if you want to support the show. So thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you again next time. Thanks so much. Stay curious. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book, available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises, a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.